Family, I am amped about the episode we have for you today. I have a new friend that I've met since moving to Colorado. His name is Daryl Kelly. He's the CEO and co-founder of Hectic. It's an app and also just an all-around movement that's helping freelancers all around the globe. Look, I want you to get ready for a great conversation that's not just about business, it's about life. And I can't wait for you to learn more about my friend Daryl. Here we go. It's episode two of Conversations with Mentors, Moguls, and Legends with yours truly, Mark Allen Patterson. Please welcome our guest, Daryl Kelly. All right, Daryl, thank you so much for joining us today. I have a few questions for you and I just want to hop right in. Uh, So let's do it. Thanks for having me. Uh, I jumped into your bio a little bit and I was legit fascinated. Yo, you started oh walking in trouble. <laughs> at eight months old and you said that was kind of just the story of your life from that point on. What was your childhood like? <laughs> it depends on who you ask. Um, and if you ask any of my siblings, they'll say that I was a pain in the butt, that <laughs> I was very difficult. My sister loves telling this story. We were at a hotel and I was four and I just ripped the newspaper from someone's, uh, um, uh, they were reading it and I guess I just ripped it out of their hands for no reason whatsoever. So yeah, they say that I was really naughty mm. um, as I was growing up. I just got into a lot of trouble. And so the reason for that was mostly because I just had so much going on in my head. So you think about early development and you know me growing up and you know with a lot of adversity, it led me to this place where I very much depended a lot on myself, being challenged, being stimulated. And so mm-hmm. growing up, um, I wouldn't consider myself a prodigy by any means. Yeah. But yeah, I would say things, concepts came very easy to me. Um, I loved puzzles. I loved Legos. So I loved taking complex things, skimming them, and getting to the big idea, the big picture very quickly. Mm. Um, I wouldn't say that I was an expert at anything <laughs> growing up. I wouldn't even say I'm an expert at anything now. I still maintain that really... Um, I, I, I can approach things really easily. I can learn concepts really easily, but I wouldn't say I'm an expert. I don't have depth on a ton of things. Gotcha. What would you say then, because you spoke about just going through some adversity, you mentioned in your story the fact that you had to just navigate homelessness through like middle school. I wonder what that was like for you just because, again, a fascinating part of your story is that you have to navigate this tough stuff that's going on at home, but it seems like you were able to come out the other side of it in terms of your achievements in school and at work, almost unscathed. You know what I mean? Like, how did you navigate that? Mm, I mean, probably not the healthiest way to look back at it, but I was really good at compartmentalizing things. Mm. Um, you know, while we were homeless, we were homeless because we were escaping an abusive situation. So I had an abusive stepdad. Mm. And, um, you know, this happened, you know, from when I was six to 12, 13, I'd say. Um, very, very consistent abuse, you know, from my mom to me, never my younger siblings. Um, I was the stepchild. So it was always me, never actually his kids, quote unquote, Mm. his kids. And so that's what led to the homelessness because one day my mom literally left. We left in the middle of the night. 
Um, believe it or not, I actually drove us from Cal- from Colorado to California when I was 11, um, just to talk about early maturity. Yes. Yes. So I'm not crazy laughing, story. So, but like, I'm, it's like, yo, wait, 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 before you go, you have to like put us in the car. How did, what was the scenario to which you had to get behind the wheel? Yeah. So my mom, we were leaving middle of the night. It was a blowout fight. Um, we were used to the blowout fights, you know, you kind of just learn to sleep through them. But this night, my mom, I guess, got the courage to just go. And so, um, I had two, three younger siblings. Um, and so my youngest sibling, Joshua was, uh, I want to say four or five months at the time. And my mom comes up in a panic, grabs me in my room out of my room, um, grabs the two younger siblings and we just, we just leave, we leave. Um, so it's my mom, she's got this yeah, she's going to hate me for saying this. I hope she never hears this, but she has this massive uh, black eye. Um, then, mm. you know, she came in, she's like, I can't drive. You have to drive. And so mm. I drove. <laughs> and that's kind of how, you know, when you go back to the, the first question, how did you walk? How did you learn things? It came from just being in that situation, being in the situation where I had to rise to whatever, you know, that challenge was driving, mm-hmm. you know, your mom and three, your three younger siblings across the country on the interstate at night at an 11, as, at, at 11 years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you, you do that. <laughs> mm. So obviously you can tell that story with a smile on your face today. but. I could only imagine just the weight that that could have felt like, or I'm assuming it could have felt like a weight. Honestly, I didn't even feel it at the time. And I know that's really, Mm. I mean, that's when you talk to trauma uh, survivors and people that go through childhood trauma, a lot of times suppression is the strategy. So to go back to your first question, you know, how did I deal with it? I lied a lot. Um, you know, mm. I have really good friends that I still talk to from middle school and high school and they go, you know, we knew the whole time. And I'm like, yeah, probably. But that was my way of feeling like I had some sense of control around it. Mm. Um, you know, being homeless was very, very difficult. Like we lived in our car and my mom was always so focused on getting us the best education possible. And so she mm-hmm. literally would just drop us off at these schools, like elite schools. I went to a performing arts school, one of the best at performing arts schools in San Diego growing up on scholarship because my mom said, Hey, this is the only option that I have. She was so good at advocating for us, but we were still homeless. And so I remember mm-hmm. one specific instance where I was brushing my teeth in the school bathroom and um, this guy came in. He's like, are you brushing your teeth? Which is not weird at all, but I got super freaked out about it because I didn't want people to know what my situation looked like. I'm like, oh yeah, you know, I just, you know, blah, blah, blah. I forgot to, I just love my teeth and, you know, some story mm-hmm. that you make up on the fly. Um, but I got really good and really comfortable at lying because that, that felt to me as if something I can control. And I would say, oh yeah, my dad travels all the time. And, you know, we mm-hmm. live over here. I would, rem- I'd memorize addresses, literally memorize addresses um, to go, oh, yeah, we live right here. It's down the street. Da, 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 da. So, you know, that compartment, I put it in a compartment. I lied about it. It wasn't great. Um, but that's how I survived through it is, you know, I put it in a box. This was my life box and this was my school box. And I kind of mm-hmm. had somewhat of a, I don't know, imagine if, uh, I don't know, a relationship with my adversity, mm. which I, made me really good at escapism. If I'm being honest, like in life, that's one thing that when things get really, really, really difficult now, and it's the work that I'm doing mm-hmm. is that escapism is okay. When things are really, really difficult, I tend to, you know, shrink down. I want to flee. I want to run from it because it feels as if it was very much 
10-year-old Daryl, 12-year-old Daryl. And I'm like, okay, I got to warrior up or I got to flee. And not everything looks like that today. And yet mm-hmm. some of the conditioning is still there. And that's all the work with therapy and my coaches. You know, we work on this, but it is still something that I have to be pay attention to, um, mm-hmm. you know, even all these years later. Wow. Uh, number one, thank you for sharing that. Because I feel like so many people, while they may not share the background and the, they didn't have to walk through the shoes that you did, so many people I feel like can relate to that. And even myself looking back on my own journey, I recall through this was like early, late middle school, early high school. Uh, we went through like foreclosure before it was like, the national thing. Uh, (laughs) And, um, and essentially my dad got downsized from his job and we just went through the hurdles of like, okay, we grew up in our childhood home, had to transition out and then staying with friends, staying with family, yada, yada, yada. And I could, for me personally, I wonder if this is true for you by the time you get to the other side, as in you're a professional, grown adult, you've got a family, you got your own responsibilities. For me, I wonder if this is true for you. Like, I feel there's like a weight and a responsibility to almost never find myself in that spot. And so I wonder if that has played out in your work, because for me, there's always this voice in the back of my head that feels like, okay, you have to work and work and work and work to make sure that you never are short on money. You're never short on an opportunity. Yeah. And I wonder how that plays out for you uh, in just a foreshadow, because I wonder if that even could inspire the whole hectic <laughs> movement, you know, where yeah. it's just like you're always on the go, always chasing the next opportunity. And it's not that you're being an opportunist. You're just almost like running from your past. I wonder, not diagnosing here. I'm just just wondering because it feels like that would be me. Yeah. So you said some important things. Um, one with continuing continuing to revisit the past in the future is something that I'm actively and have been doing work with for the last 10 years. So I've been doing intensive cognitive behavioral therapy. And when we talk about what that is from a label perspective, it's called catastrophizing. Mm. And so that's what I get really, really good at because that's what I was comfortable with. I was comfortable with living in chaos. I was comfortable with living with um, constant worry of what tomorrow is going to look like from a negative perspective, like actual survivorism. Mm-hmm. And so for me, that's a safe place to go, right? For you, when you went through adversity that led to a life-changing event, right? When you have foreclosure, when you have something change overnight, it's trauma, right? And I think a lot of times we mislabel what trauma is because, and this isn't to reduce, you know, physical trauma, but there are, um, you know, early childhood traumas from impermanence, from things changing right away. I mean, you see it a lot um, from PTSD when you have, you know, typical families that grew up in the military and it was trauma. Mm. It's trauma events every single time they have to move, right? And you did it so much more accelerated where you didn't have time to process the move is happening. I'm going to say goodbye to my friends or going to say goodbye to the house. It accelerated the event. And so what that leads to is it leads to catastrophe in our heads. And so what we do is our minds are so good at protecting us. Mm. And so um, when we are protecting ourselves constantly, we constantly go back to that place where we think everything looks like it's the end of the world, the end of the road, the end Mm. of the world. And so I'm not 
healed by it anyway. But I just wanted to give you some context as to some of the work that I'm doing is working on doing less catastrophizing. And so what I do with that, so 100% I agree. I often go, I never want to be at that place again. And I will never be at that place because of one very important thing is the skills and strengths that I learned throughout the years and often reflecting on not necessarily the circumstance, but the way that I thrived through that circumstance. So, Mm. um, you know, when I was growing up, I was very resourceful. I was good at activating. I was good at maximizing. I was good at like, and when you're able to focus on what got you through that circumstance, you can go, I've done this before. This is easy. And then also, um, in terms of fortune telling, so it's another uh, cognitive distortion and, and label. So you have catastrophizing and you have fortune telling. So mm-hmm. two really, really dangerous and toxic things to live in and not know that you're living in them. And mm-hmm. so, you know, this actually just happened to me last week where I knew that I was catastrophizing. I knew I was um, uh, fortune telling. I was worried about money the other day. I don't know what came up. And I was like, oh man, like this is like, you know, this is a challenge is here, you know, whatever. And I instantly went, and it sounds crazy, but I know that you go this this road as well. You go from, oh man, this investment didn't go too well, or oh, you know, this happened, or I'm going to have to let go of this job or let go of this project. And I instantly go, oh, well, this is into the road for me, you know. And it's so unrealistic, you know, mm-hmm. when you take the time to go, all right, let me challenge that thought. Is it true? Mm-hmm. Uh, do I have evidence to freak out about this thought? And when you challenge it, oftentimes it's not. But we don't have good control of our emotions and a good relationship with what our emotions are trying to tell us. Our emotions are trying to tell us, one, be aware, don't be afraid. But if we're constantly thinking and saying, "Uh uh-oh, this happens, this is foreclosure. And so Mm -hmm. for me, the process and the work that has been done has been specifically around getting better control over my emotions by just labeling them. Hey, you know, I'm fortune telling. Do I know this to be true to happen in the future? Mm. Do I have enough evidence for this to be true? Am I catastrophizing? Is this really what's going to happen? Okay, let's let's play this out. So then this is going to happen and then what's going to happen? And then this is going to happen and then what's going to happen? Mm-hmm. And I give myself permission to work through that process. And when I'm freaking out, my wife and everyone around me knows Daryl's freaking out, but he'll work through it. Um, and that's the process of me working through it is one, trying to identify what's inside of it and then where the actual thought came from. Where did the point of anxiety? When did mm-hmm. the challenge came, come from? Where did the distorted thought come from? So I can label what it actually is and not actually let my mind run away with what it's not. Mm. That was a very long answer for your question. And I enjoyed every second of it. What's up, family? We're taking a quick pause from this episode to make sure you're connected. If what you've heard so far has been helpful to you, I want you to know there's plenty more where that came from. But it's easy to miss an episode if you're not connected. So please head over to ConvoRoom.com to find out how you can subscribe and not miss a single moment. Now back to the episode. So let's jump to the point in your career where you are, you started off as a consultant with Accenture, right? Yeah. From what I understand. Mm-hmm. And eventually you end up co-founding a startup. So that's a, I mean, probably a big span of your life. I want to talk through when you first got the opportunity to work for Accenture, I'm assuming that was probably a payoff moment where it's just, like, okay, I, I've did the things. I've I've got my degree. I've I've put the work in. I, I you know I I I've been I've been putting the hours in. Now I I got a seat at the table to eventually 
you've got to forego the comfort of having the full-time structured income, it seems, the the safety net and jumping into your own thing as a co-founder. Like, Walk me through just the decisions that you felt like, okay, these were the right moves for me. Yeah. Great question. So um, there's two mindset differences. Um, you know, I don't like beyond, beyond the career, I want to start with the mindset that I had then. Mm-hmm. So this is just right out of grad school, just got my MBA. And I'm like, okay, I know exactly what I want to be doing. I know exactly where I need to be going. And because I wasn't focusing on necessarily having good understanding of my thoughts. And a lot of times we don't do enough self-discovery early on. Mm. We just keep following reacting, right? We, we are overcorrecting or reacting towards something. And when I think about specifically the minority experience, and I'll just you know digress for a second here. When you think about minority experience, but also underrepresented or you know, when you think about low socioeconomic, right? Let's put that all into one bucket. Mm-hmm. A lot of the conditioning and the way that you live your life is out of surviving. It's yeah. out of how do I get to the next step? What is it that I need to do to get to safety? Because when I arrive at, arrive at safety, I'll, I finally can take a breath, right? When you think yes. about those communities, it's about taking a breath. And this isn't black, white, or brown, or black and brown. This is black, white, brown, every single color that has experienced significant adversity from a socioeconomic status. Mm-hmm. And so you're trying to get to this place where you're, you can take a breath, you can pay your bills. You're not living paycheck to paycheck. And so when I grew up and when I was going through school and college, to me, that's what I was hoping to accomplish. What's Mm. the fastest way to safety? What's the fastest way to comfort? And for me, that was, okay, I'm going to get a double major. You know, I have a, you know, um, uh, I have an MBA, I have an MFA as well. To me, it was like, how many things can I build up around me just to feel and be safe? Mm -hmm. Throughout my career, I chased safety and I was miserable miserable. Um, wow. you know, and I, I would be angry for no reason. I'm chasing money, chasing things that really just didn't matter just to feel safe, to feel comfortable, to feel as if I'm in control. And as you know, we're never really fully in control. You know, things can change tomorrow. And so, you know, it's a, it's a fallacy. You're chasing safetyism and it's fine, right? Because you've been so unstable your entire life. You want the complete opposite. But what I have learned through the place that I'm at, where I own multiple companies, you know, I, I sit on a lot of boards. Um, you know, I, my life is much different because I'm chasing passion. So I've moved mm. from black and white dichotomy thinking I need to get here because if I'm here, I'm safe. Mm-hmm. To what do I want to do? What's going to bring me joy? What's going to? What am I actually going to be passionate about? What can I do when I look at the end of the day and go, oh, this was a really hard, difficult day. And look back and go, but did I chase what I'm, what I'm happy about? Am I happy at the end of the day? Is my quality of life, am I satisfied with myself? Because what happened during the entire journey of my career, and I've had a very successful career working for large companies, um, you know, I've sold a company, um, you know, and it, it's been great. It's a great career from the outside looking in. I felt like an imposter the entire time. I constantly mm. felt like I'm not good enough. I don't belong in this room. I don't deserve. And it's because I wasn't really chasing my, my true passions, right? I, I, you fill out, you check the boxes, you do all the things. Yeah, you got an MBA, you're going to be safe. You know, you're in a, you know, big four consulting role, you're going to be safe. You know, then you're, you're an executive, you're going to be safe. I did not feel safe at all Mm. that entire time. Yes, the paycheck was great, but I did not feel safe because I didn't feel as if that's what I truly wanted to be doing. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I have the credibility and I was good at it. But it's not truly what I want it to do. Um, and so you're constantly facing like, I don't deserve here. I don't belong in this room because your, your internal 
self is saying, no, like this isn't what I want you to be doing. Um, mm. I don't want to have a boss. I don't want to just go to, you know, make partner and then your partner and then great. You know, I've lived my entire life chasing a, a, a role or chasing a, a title. And so, you know, about five, six years ago, I started taking some of that back, um, you know, and going, okay, what do I want to do? And then you find a way to monetize it. And then mm. you go, okay, great. That works. That builds on top of each other. And then you find a way to monetize the next thing. Your, t- your skills and your talents are so monetizable when you're able to do the process of self-discovery and not focusing on necessarily the results. So I have this title mm-hmm. or I've made it to this company, but focusing on your behaviors and which led to those results. We're really good at looking at results. We are not really good at looking for and identifying what are the behaviors that led to the result. When you mm-hmm. focus on that, you're able to go, okay, you know, I'm a really good maximizer. What does that look like? What does maximizing looks like look like? Mm-hmm. What does adaptability look like? You know, what does strategy look like? And so I was able to focus on the strengths, which when you think about maximizer, you think about adaptability, you think about strategizer, that all comes from growing up and needing to adapt to adversity, needing to adapt to, you know, an abusive stepdad that at a moment could, you know, you know, freak out, mm-hmm. needing to be um, a maximizer, needing to figure out how to get to school. I caught the bus to school when I was in third grade, almost uh, 25 miles. I caught four mm. buses to school. Um, being very adaptable with the circumstance and situation. So I figured out, okay, what have I been doing my entire life that I'm great at? And how do I then monetize that? If you start from that place, success is so much easier to have. And I'm not just talking monetary success. I'm talking about success where you look yourself in the mirror and you go, I love you. I like you. And I'm proud of what you're doing every single day. Mm-hmm. That's success. Yeah. Ignore the money. Money means nothing. You need to, at the end of the day, be able to really, really be proud of the things that you are doing because uh, because it's resonating with who you are. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I'm not great at it, by any means yet, but it's what I chase after. It's aligns with my values and I'm putting people in place to help me chase after that. You know, I'm putting, you know, I have therapists, I have coaches, I have people that are in my life as mentors. I have mentees so I can check, you know, uh, you know, give that, that context back. But it's so important to think about mindset, to think about your actual desires and your skills, and then put a career path in front of that. Mm -hmm. I wonder with all the work that you've done and the self-awareness that you have, do you ever feel like you have survivor's remorse where you've kind of been able to get to the other side of so much of the things that you were dealt and the trauma that was just associated with your past? And you might look at some of your contemporaries, they might even be in your family. Like, do you ever feel like, man, I really I'm glad for where I am, but man, I I feel like I'm carrying a little weight for the people that I'm I'm connected to. Hmm. Hmm. Um, I would say a little bit of survivor's remorse. Um, I'm doing a much better job with it because I'm taking my story, coming and sharing it on shows like this and other podcasts. And so it really helps with the remorse side of it. I think remorse comes from regret. I don't necessarily regret anything that has come up in my life. Mm. Um, I think remorse comes from this sense of um, feeling as if um, 
remorse comes from the sense of feeling as if you're not doing enough to give back. And so for me, I have a really good relationship with that because as, as of late, and this is new within the past few years, the way that I'm dealing with remorse, the way that I'm dealing with, you know, how it looks in my family is one giving back, right? So I don't feel like I owe anyone anything, but I am giving back to acknowledge the people that have been a part of my journey. So I think that that's really important to kind of, to, to counteract remorse. And then the other thing that's really important is to start talking and sharing your story. I had remorse for not sharing how much power is in my story. So I think that mm. that's where I see a lot more remorse is, hey, you know, I could be using this for good and instead I'm using it for nothing. Like it's just in this little box because I'm not ready to deal with my trauma. I'm not ready to do the work. And so that's where I felt the most amount of remorse. I feel very little now because of the things that I am doing and the work that I am doing to help reach back into people that may have not been exposed to the things that I have been exposed to. I've been very fortunate to be able to have therapists and coach. And so for me, how do I take what do I have, what I have and share it back? If I was mm. at this point and I wasn't sharing it, yeah, I'd have a lot of remorse and mm. I wouldn't know what it was. Wow. Just put me into like the space that you were in where you are in the throes of your career, obviously you've had some wins and obviously for every win, there are tons of valleys associated with A lot with of them, them. yes. <laughs> um, but you're thriving in your career and then you're like running a company and you decide to sell it. There's some signal to say, okay, there's some safety here where I can take a breath by selling this company, I'm assuming. So- you sell a company and then eventually you're co-founding your own uh, startup after that. Like, what was that decision-making process like? Yeah. So, I mean, I was involved um, in the company. It wasn't just solely on my decision to sell or not sell. It was the right, it was the right time. Um, you know, we knew we were at a certain growth. We had some attracted buyers um, for the company. Um, it was the right time. It was the right time to sell. Um for the company to grow um, exponentially as well, which has done under um, the new leadership at the public company. Um, you just have a different access to resources than we had. And so we came to a pivotal moment where we decided we can either put a significant amount of additional resources into this company, or we can take an exit. And we chose to take an exit. Mm -hmm. um, you know, You'll find this in most founders. You'll find this in most people that sell a company. It's like, okay, you sell your first, you sell your second, you sell your third. And then you're just addicted to just doing it over and over and over and over again because mm -hmm. that somewhat becomes your strength. Mm -hmm. And you know that's what I found out through the process is how much strength I have in you know uh, a certain size company, taking a certain size company from origination to revenue or a certain size revenue from revenue to growth. Um, so that's what I learned is like, okay, you, you know, what's next for us? Because I'm good at these skills, right? My strengths, mm -hmm. I'm good at activating. I'm good at maximizing. I'm great at strategy. So it just made sense that this will be the next thing to then do it again and then again and again. And then also if I'm being transparent, I probably should have took a break. Mm. Um, I didn't take a break. I went right to the next thing. And so when you talk about, um, you know, that survivorism and just trying to make sure that, uh, um, you know, the, the walls don't fall apart and, you know, yeah. you're no longer to provide for your family. There was a lot of that. Mm -hmm. I, I'll just be completely transparent. And that was just six years ago. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so a lot of work has been, five years ago, a lot of work has been done since then as well. Mm -hmm. um, but that was the fear. It's like, okay, this isn't enough to retire on, right? Mm -hmm. And even if it was, I don't even know 
Um, I don't even know if I would have stopped then. Mm-hmm. Um, but you just, you keep going. You want to keep using your skills. You want to keep allowing them to compound. So yeah, there were a little bit was, I'm a little, I'm still afraid. I'm afraid mm-hmm. there's not, you know, and I don't know, I'd probably have to have a hundred billion dollars in the bank for me to go, oh yeah, now I'm finally safe. And <laughs> right. I, it, that still probably wouldn't be enough, right? It's a scarcity mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah, you keep moving and, but it, it's interesting as I'm saying that, that scarcity mindset, when you have control with it and you're able to, you know, really have, um, a good relationship with this, you owning the scarcity, not the scarcity owning you, you being able to use it as strategy. That was my desire to then find and found another great company mm. because I knew that that company didn't exist. So scarcity mindset, dichotomy, like it's not a bad thought. It's only bad when it's controlling you, right? Because if you're able to see where there's scarcity, you're able to create a market from that. That's how Mm -hmm. the best markets are created is when there's opportunity and there is scarcity. Mm -hmm. That was a very tangential answer, answer, which you'll always get from me. (laughs) Listen, go on any tangent you want, okay? Uh, So talk me through the moment you got the idea for Hectic. Because I'm sure people listening to this right now if you want to have a conversation with a mentor, a mogul, or a living legend, I feel like pe- everything starts with an idea. But sometimes you get a great idea and then you're like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> is this going to work? And then you start going through all the things of why it's not going to work. And then, you know, you might throw a couple ideas against the wall. And this one thing that seems to, like, when you look at Hectic, just on face value, it doesn't seem like this like novel concept that nobody's ever heard of. It's like, okay, well, why right. don't we just coalesce all the things that a freelancer would need to like streamline their workflow? It's like, mm-hmm. hmm, well, why isn't anybody doing this? Well, and, and, and so I wonder, like, for you, did you ever think to yourself, no, like this isn't going to work? Like this, there's too much competition. Somebody's done it, you know, or the, sure. there are pieces uh, pieces of this out here, like. How did you overcome the doubt? Like, was the imposter syndrome still there? I mean, if I'm being honest, I'm overcoming the doubt every single day. Mm. Um, I don't think that you ever overcome the doubt. And I think that that's one of the things that helps push and drive you is just the smallest sense of how do I make this work, right? Mm. You have to keep making it tangible and keep validating and improving it every single day. But to answer your question, okay. So, uh, you know, we, we sold, we sold the company, business partner and I, Jeff, we were in a, in a, uh, my old office. And this is still when we were employed by the other company, there was like this, you know, period where, uh, you know, we had some additional free time. And so, we knew we were going to start something else. We we're like, hey, let's do this again. That was a lot of fun. You know, we, we mm-hmm. you know, kind of the, like I said, it's an addiction. You're like, okay, I know how to use my skills. That was like, okay, that was validation more than anything. I think if, yeah. I, if you take one thing away from that, that validated, okay, all of my skills, all of my strengths, when done well, can lead to this. You want to do it again. You want to mm-hmm. harden it. You want to refine it. You want to, you know, do it bigger. You want to do it tenfold. You want to do it twentyfold. And so we we're in a room and we're like, let's start another company. And that's a great way to start a new company is by going, let's start a company. I have no idea what it's going to be. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> um, but that was the goal, right? Like that was the long vision that he and I would do something with each other again. And so, you know, we, we whiteboarded for weeks. And so that process of refinement and collaboration is so important to just get all the garbage out. You're not censoring it. You're not saying that's a bad idea or that's a good idea yet. You're just saying, what are ideas? You know, it's a process mm-hmm. of just 
being creative, the process of we can refine later, but what are some things that we want to do? Stepping out, stepping into a creative process should kind of feel a little messy at first. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you ask any creative, I, you're an artist, when you're writing a song or you're, when you're composing something, you're like, okay, it's, it's a mess right now. I, I have an idea of what it could be, yeah. mm-hmm. um, but I have no, I'm going to find it, right? It's yeah. kind of that like, you know, I loved Legos growing up. And so I'm like always trying to find the perfect piece that does a thing. And so you're trying to find it. And that's what we did. And we didn't find it. <laughs> mm. <laughs> we didn't find it. And, um, I have a photography studio as well. And so, you know, I was just, you know, on the side talking about how difficult certain things are with, you know, running, you know, being a freelance photographer for, you know, greater me, um, for, you know, raw definition of it. Yeah. I had a few people that I worked with, but for the most part, it was me. Mm -hmm. I was just saying how difficult it is. And, you know, we kind of just sat there and we're like, let's talk more about that. And like, what's Mm. difficult about it? I'm like, well, this and this and this and this. And I'm like, we should build something here um, because we had we had two intentions. One, we didn't want to just start another company that drives revenue and you know makes you know a small sort small amountage of people wealthy. We wanted mm-hmm. to do something that actually gave back to the world in a really meaningful way. So that was one criteria. So that's why a lot of the other things didn't work. We had a criteria. We had a filter for what we were looking for, and so we weren't refining necessarily, but we we knew where we wanted to go. We wanted to build a company together, and we wanted to do something that had impact beyond you know, impacting businesses to get wealthier, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, like, let's do something more than that. Like, I think our, we can use our talents for better than that. And so, um, you know, we're going through this refinement process. We have this idea. And then as soon as both of us started talking through it, I'm like, we should just put all these things together and do a re- make a really great app that works really, really well for freelancers. Mm. And of course, when you ever have a deal, you're like, oh, we're the first ones to think of this. Like, that's freaking awesome. Yeah. Okay. No one thought of this before. And of course, we were just searching the wrong terms uh, because Mm. people have thought of of the idea before. Um, And so, you know, it kind of discouraged us a little bit um, Mm. in terms of what we're going to do. And it put the project on hold where we had to refine it a little bit more because it was, here's the idea. Here's the concept. Here's what we want to do. We can't look like everyone else doing it. So what is a bigger problem around this ecosystem that we can solve? And so that's where we started really thinking about, okay, well, if being disorganized and not really truly having one single place to do it all, um, if that doesn't really truly exist from a mainstream perspective, then why not? And so we had a really important question to ask. There's 37 million freelancers um, in North America alone our competitors have about 1% penetration into that market. So that told us one, really large market size, large total addressable market with low penetration. So even though there were competitors in the space, no one was really leading or owning the space. And so it Mm. told us something's wrong here. What's Mm -hmm. wrong? And then we approach it from that perspective. What can we solve that's not already being solved that has a more long-term benefit beyond just a product? And so for us, Freelancing is more than just, you know, having a place where you can do it all, right? It's about how those things work really well together to make your life simpler, to help you build a better business. And so that was the working hypothesis is how do we make help freelancers build a better business? Hmm. How do we make it more tangible for freelancers to keep freelancing? There's a very high rebound rate in freelancing. Usually people freelance for 18 months and they go get a real job again. Mm -hmm. Or they freelance for, you know, six months and they go get a real job again. And the question I asked myself is, what is it going to take to make freelancing a real job? Mm. And that was the question that we will be answering. And so for us, in order to do that, you have to have a really great operating system. 
a really great platform to build on. And it can't just be a collection of tools. We know that freelancers are really resilient and they're good at taking a collection of tools and going, okay, I'm going to make this work. Yeah. It needed to be a collection of tools that worked really well with your day so you can be more organized. So you can, you know, as you're tracking time, you're also building an invoice, right? It's about compounding because mm-hmm. as a freelancer, you have to be the CEO, you have to be the COO, you have to be the CMO in charge of marketing. You have so much to do. And so we wanted to make those processes of being all of those different roles very easy every single moment you're working throughout the day. Mm. And we also realized that's just the start, isn't it? Like, just having productivity tools, that's just the start. That's not really having a great business. A great business is, how do I have a good marketing strategy? A great business is um, you know, one that is able to be durable beyond 18 months, beyond 36 months. It's a career. Mm-hmm. And so we put those big questions in place. And so productivity tools was one. Um, the next thing that we felt was really important is that mentorship, that feedback, that education of things that you don't know that you get in a traditional um, environment. And so we said, okay, well, I guess we need to launch an academy, huh? We need to launch learnings. There needs to be really strong mm. things around people. And so um, I'm very proud to say that we will be launching an academy that helps. Yes. Yes, that helps, you know, with the basics. You know, what's the difference between LLC or S Corp or C Corp? You know, um, should I have an attorney for my contracts? You know, how do I how do I negotiate well? How do I set my price? How do I get over the head trash that's in my head that's keeping me back from being a freelancer? So, mm-hmm. um, you know, Academy launches um, at the end of this month, which we're really excited about. And then the next big thing that really, unfortunately, mostly in North America, America, um, you have health insurance that's so dependent on employment. And so that's right. another thing that we're working on next. Uh, it'll launch by the end of the year, but we're launching hectic benefits, health, dental, vision, um, and business liability Are you insurance kidding because, me? Yes, yes. We're, Are I mean, we're, you we're solving kidding? the entire ecosystem. Yo, <laughs> that is game changing. Yes. Yeah, it has to be more than just an app. And you know, when you look at our competitors in the space, and so this is why it's so important to own your differentiation, to own your uniqueness, because there's things that cannot be replicated about companies, the greatest brands on the planet, and about individuals. And it comes through this process of self-discovery. It comes through this process of understanding what only you uniquely can do or solve. And that's mm-hmm. something that only we are able to uniquely solve. And I can't even give away the rest of the vision. So that's mm-hmm. just us just getting started, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot more that needs to be solved to replace your traditional, your the safety, right? The right. idea of safety or the promise of safety that comes from your traditional employment, uh, working for yourself. Because, you know, both of both Jeff and I and other founders, are, we're, we're very entrepreneurial minded, mm-hmm. but we've had starts and stops throughout our career because Safety, right? Health insurance, mm-hmm. uh, a constant paycheck, a continuous paycheck, organizational um, um, a discipline and benefits from organizational foundations and, and efficiency that you just can't have as a business, as a small business. Mm-hmm. Well, I think there's nothing more at risk of the American dream than institutional and systemic employment. I think the thing that's going to give the American dream, get back to the root of what the American dream is, is making working for yourself much more tangible, right? I mean, you think about high schoolers. Why aren't more high schoolers going, oh, I'm going to go start my own business, mm-hmm. right? People see that as risk. It shouldn't be. Right. Starting your own business should be just as uh, tangible, just as realistic as going to work at Starbucks. It's funny because you have parents that go, ah, you should go work at Starbucks for a year. You should go do this instead of encouraging them to go, go start your own business. You know, mm-hmm. you've, been, you've been playing guitar your entire life. Go do something with that. Or you're a great graphic designer. Go do something with that. 
Mm-hmm. Parents don't recommend it because there's not a good example or recommendation except for very extreme use cases, right? We all right. can find the extreme entrepreneur re- uh, use cases. But I guarantee you, in our circles, we don't know a handful of people. Think about a handful of people that you know that are able to create on their own and have a business. Mm-hmm. That needs to change. Right. I'm curious, um, before I ask you the last question, just let this percolate, I want to ask you about legacy to end out. Hmm. But before we get there, I want to really talk through the mindset of a lot of freelancers, because I feel like I was in this place uh, just a couple years ago uh, when I was living in Atlanta and pretty much every dollar that I got, number one, it was by faith. Okay. But um, every dollar that I got was just by me freelancing. And I had a mindset issue going from, and when I tell you, I was working on client projects and applying for jobs at the same time. Yeah. And I think it got to the point where I was just going on interviews for the sake of going on interviews because I felt like, I should be doing this while I'm freelancing. And I had a hard time bridging the gap between, hey, this is my skill and this is my business. Can you talk to the freelancer who's like, okay, I'm doing the thing. I'm, I'm exchanging my skill and my time for income, but I really don't know how I can think of myself or what I do as a business. What kept you from it? Hmm. I think what kept me from it, I think there were a few things. Number one, I think I was racing to find that safety we were talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, just for context, we're talking newly married. Um, and then we moved into my parents' place. So I, in my mind, I had this clock. I was like, okay, I got to do it by this time. <laughs> Because it wasn't like I I had some ultimatum from my wife or my parents, like, you better make this happen. You know what I mean? But in my mind, I just felt like, okay, I am at this place in my career. I need to make X amount of money. Mm -hmm. And so it was hard to transition because music and doing creative things were the most lucrative. And so I could easily put a framework around it and say, okay, if I were to like have a business, like, okay, I could, I can, I can do a record. I can mm. try to put together a team and like, we can try to like go on the road. Like if we get enough traction online, like I could easily understand that industry, even though the music industry can be just, you know, all kinds of crazy, but I had seen enough people do it. I hadn't seen enough people put a business together from like, just, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to use my skills, whether it be, especially when you talk about like strategy and marketing, because everybody's doing it. You know, everybody's an expert on Instagram. Everybody's, you know, (laughs) uh, and and even the people that are experts are like, you know, hiring people on Fiverr, you know, to, you know, supplement the stuff that they can't do. So in my mind, I couldn't figure out like, okay, well, how do I get the margins? How do I like, just how do I do it? I, I only see myself exchanging my time for money. And I don't feel like that's scalable, you know? Um, So that for me was the barrier. I don't know, maybe for the average, you know, entrepreneur, it might be a little different, you know, but that was my story. 
And I see that often. Um, I have conversations around that very, very often. I actually was just at Denver Public Schools in their entrepreneurial program uh, last week talking about something very similar. So it's it's interesting that you even bring this up because it just keeps reinforcing and validating how much misconceptions there are in the world, uh, misconceptions and then how little education there is in the world of entrepreneurism, in mm-hmm. freelancing, in trying to start on your own. There's a lot of books. You can go read self-help books. You can go read business books, but there's not enough practical insights. And that's why I think it's critically important that you're doing shows like this and it's shared because there's some very consistent and easy things to do to just shift the reality around freelancing to help people have a more comfortable understanding of it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So number one, you talked about you needing to you know, hit this margin. You had a goal. We often don't do well with goal planning. We are awful estimators. And so in our heads, we go, oh, you know what? I need, you know, a hundred thousand dollars in revenue. That's going to be a hundred, that's going to be success for me. Okay, mm-hmm. great. Likely. Um, or if that's your goal that you need to take care of your family or you know, whatever that is, right? It's you need a hundred thousand dollars. It's not going to happen the f- year one. And I think mm-hmm. number the number one misconception is that revenue is going to happen right away. Mm. There's this really good quote um, about startups that um, not all startups fail because they have a bad product. Not all startups fail because they have bad strategies. Startups fail because they don't have enough revenue to hit their next pivot. That talks about margin. That talks about realistic goal settings. And so, you know, you take that goal. Okay, I need 100 grand. Okay, great. What is that going to take to get there? You start building the blocks. Okay, that's going to take... 500 customers, right? So now you're thinking about pricing. Okay, how am I going to price myself? Okay, so then I need to be about $30 an hour, $30 an hour times, okay, 40 hours a week. Okay, no, I'm going to actually have to work 70 hours a week. Okay, so start Mm -hmm. putting the models backwards from your goal and challenge that process. That's number one. Take your goal and then start doing all of the routes that it's going to take to get to that goal. Likely what you arrive with is I need to charge X amount and I'm going to be able to do with the amount of time that I have Year one's going to be $20,000. But mm-hmm. in year one, I'm going to take that $20,000 and invest into additional resources. It's going to help me grow here, 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 and here, and here. So number one, start with a goal, go long-term, and then back into that goal, what it's going to take to get there. Do three or four routes. You know, If you're an hourly person, do it by hourly. If you're a project-based person, now you know how many projects you're going to need to get at a certain rate. If you're a graphic designer, you said creative. If you're a graphic designer, you need to know how many projects you need a year or how many hours you need a year to be able to hit your income. And then that's going to tell you what you need from top of funnel. So a lot of times we need far less than we actually have in our minds from a perception perspective. Everyone's like, I need to be Mm -hmm. viral. I need to go viral to understand um, or to get to that revenue. Likely not. You need to know what you have to offer, what service you're going to offer, and then getting really good at niching down and expanding from a niche. So a lot of times people go into the freelance world and they go, everyone is my target customer. Everyone is my target demographic. I'm going to reach everyone. My product is for everyone. That's unrealistic. If you start with understanding who your product is for, what service you have, one of the greatest ways to grow is via referrals. And people underestimate how important referrals are. Mm -hmm. So when you're doing that model, maybe you go, okay, I'm targeting, you know, I am a graphic designer and I am going to focus 100% on um, banks, you know, as an illustrative example. And so um, here's the best products that I can build for banks. Okay, so you're not going to go win chase day one. So what's your route? If that's where you're going, what's your mm-hmm. route to get there? You likely need to work with the mom and pop shop first. Yeah. Great. 
how do you build services that work really, really well for that mom and pop shop? And then you get the best at that niche. And then, okay, maybe it's not mom and pops. Maybe it's a regional bank and then it's a national bank. And then it kind of keeps building from there. That's a, that's a very exaggerated mm-hmm. example, but it's important. We have to spend more thought and more strategy on what we're doing mm-hmm. before doing it. Yeah. And then I hear everyone going, okay, but I'm not a strategist. This brings me to point number three. So point number one, set goals. Point number two, really know your audience by based, based off of what you can bring to the table. And you'll then be able to back into that from a goal perspective. And then step three is stop going at it alone. This is the number one thing that I struggled with throughout my career is by thinking that I can and should do it all. Yes. If you're not a good strategist, you have one person in your, in your network that you can go talk strategy around if you're a great executor. You need help. Freelancing is not done by individuals. It's done by an individual, likely with a community of support. And that is so important. You know, go talk to people that are in your in the industry that you're targeting. You have mm-hmm. to do it with people. If you do it on your own and you do it in your head, you will not be successful. So those are kind of my three points on how to overcome it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you're definitely talking to me specifically. <laughs> the thing about going it alone. I mean, I've I even had to commit to like asking my wife for help. Like, yeah, who. Like this is even I'm, you know, doing a podcast like you would think my first ask would be like my wife who worked in radio for years. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, bro, <laughs> literally. But I, I say that to say, I think if anything, I know this conversation is helpful because it does like peel back the myth behind entrepreneurship. It puts a face to it. Someone whose journey looks like a whole lot of people. Um, but I wonder what, what do you feel like is going to be your legacy or what do you want to be your legacy? Because Mm. you've done a few things, had a few wins, you're sharing your story, doing the work, um, years from now, I mean, generations from now, when Daryl's gone, he's got children, grandchildren that are telling stories about dad and grandpa. What do you want them to say about you? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think about this often because I live my day out of it every single day. So it's interesting that you even ask me this question. Um, there's three things that I want to be known for that I line up against my day every single day, or line up against my life every single day. And that's mm-hmm. number one, I want to be an educator. Mm-hmm. I think that the the being able to educate is so important. Being able to take complex things make them simple or make them even more complex like I often do. But just that process of educating, I want to be really good at sharing my story to help educate someone else. Like, so, you know, I have this filter in my head before I say yes to things. And when you asked me to be on the podcast, I said yes, because it felt it it went through the filter. You know, the Mm -hmm. thumbs were the thumbs were 100% up. Um, I was able to say 100% yes to it, not a 90% yes or a 60% Mm -hmm. yes, because it lines up with my long-term vision of educating. Mm. If I'm able to take even the smallest amount of nugget that I learned and I'm able to give that back to a community, it then has the opportunity to grow like never before. And it, not everything on this conversation is going to fit, but it may fit for someone. There may be one thing for someone. And so that's me leaving my mark on that. And from that perspective, education. That also comes from me growing up. That was something that is honoring my mom. 
she always put so much effort into education. And I think that it's at, it's why I'm at the place that I'm at right now is because of my ability to learn for my ability to embrace education and, you know, seek feedback, even though it's challenging. So I think education growth is critical. Um, number two, I want to be a connector. I think that our world is so individualistic that when people rem- remember me, like, oh man, Daryl connected me with this person and this mm. person and da da da. Like, I want to live throughout the connections. I want to live throughout my ability to go, oh, you're this person, you're this person, you're different, you're the same, blah blah blah, and bring those people together. Mm-hmm. I think that that harmony helps grow a greater global community. And I want to be at the center of that. And the last thing is I want to be a lover. I want to be known for loving. I want to be known for that person that, you know what? I don't know what it is about Daryl. I don't know what that tangible thing is, but I felt loved when I was around him. I felt seen. I felt heard. I felt listened to. I felt valued. I felt known. Um, I think love is just one of the biggest pieces that I build the entire foundation of my legacy. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think that's it. <laughs> mm. I think uh, if anything, I'm super glad you said yes to this interview. Um, I just, the fact that part of my move to Colorado was a breakfast with you. And <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> I I feel like even just like seeing you in passing, I would have never known the depth of your story. And I'm so glad you took the time to just share it with me and our audience today. And I just, I, I pray nothing but the best for you and your family. But most of all, I think what you're doing with Hectic is so pivotal and so vital for so many people that could be one decision away from deciding to lean into the scarcity mm-hmm. and making that decision that could impact so many people around them simply because they don't have to have the doubt of like, is it okay? Am I going to be good? Especially right. just answering a question about insurance which was a huge one, even for me a few years ago. So I think um, the work that you're doing is not only like impressive, but it's necessary. So I commend you, my friend and I, you know, I just, I can't wait to see the many steps that you're going to continue to take because it really is going to make a huge impact. I know I'm fortune telling, but <laughs> you're fortune telling. Uh, or, uh, or, you. or I say, I'm not lying. I'm prophesying. Okay. <laughs> um, but I, I, I really, um, this conversation just really fired me up to just really think bigger and think beyond. Um, because I think your story alone, just even, I'm probably just going to listen to it myself a few times <laughs> um, just to get over that scarcity mentality that causes us to just like unnecessarily stop our own progress. So yeah. thank you. I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. And if I can say one last thing, yeah. it's do the work to understand yourself. That is the biggest thing that you need. You need a great mindset and a great relationship. If you're going to do anything for yourself and even for others, you're better when you take care of yourself, when you know yourself, when you have a good relationship with what's causing certain emotions or reactions, mm-hmm. and it changes everything. So if you're going to be successful, do the work of self-discovery and self-mastery. Mm. Well, you heard it from them yourself, everybody. <laughs> Our thanks to Daryl Kelly for joining us today. Thanks, Look, Mark. this is probably on record. I would I would venture to say you talked about having mentees i'm gonna be stalking everything that you say from now on so like thank you for sharing with us today have a great absolutely yeah have a good one too bud see ya 
Thanks so much for listening. It is such an honor to have you right here in the Convo Room. Conversations with mentors, moguls, and legends hosted by yours truly, Mark Allen Patterson. Look, I don't want you to miss a single episode. So can you do me a favor? Head over to ConvoRoom.com to subscribe and find all the information you need to stay connected. Until next time, remember, you're one conversation away from changing your life for the best. Have a great one.